26 to 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Let me begin with this idea. Everybody serves somebody. The message of uh, one of the songs that Bob Dylan wrote in 1979. Uh, He appeared on Saturday Night Live and performed this song, Gotta Serve Somebody. And the first verse and chorus go like this. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Dylan's point, and he goes through that song several verses, five or six verses. Uh, His point is it doesn't matter who you are, what you enjoy, how much money you have, how great you are, from the least to the greatest, everybody serves somebody or something. So who are you serving this Christmas? His song went on to win a Grammy Award the next year, and he performed it at that ceremony to a cheering crowd but there was one guy at least who wasn't happy about it at all john lennon of the beatles wasn't happy about it at all he thought it was silly and he said well i guess dylan wants to be a waiter or something and in that same year 1970 79 he wrote a song in response to dylan's song and his song was titled serve yourself And here's the chorus to that song. You've got to serve yourself. Ain't nobody going to do it for you. Well, you may believe in devils. You may believe in lords. But you know you're going to have to serve yourself. Two radically opposed ideas, right? But you have to wonder if it ever dawned on John Lennon that the message of his song actually proved the message of Dylan's song. You're going to have to serve somebody. It might be yourself. It might be the Lord, it might be the devil, it might be your own personal desires, but everybody has to serve somebody. And just because you think you know what it is you're serving doesn't mean that is what you're actually serving. No doubt you've been preparing for Christmas, maybe you've been putting up decorations, the tree, purchasing gifts, wrapping gifts, maybe you'll prepare for Christmas by getting things ready later today for a meal or tomorrow. But what I want you to consider this morning is whom or what are you serving and are you preparing yourself to be a servant to the Lord? In our passage, God brings this seemingly impossible announcement to Mary. You will conceive and give birth to the Son of God. And even though she's a virgin, consider how she receives this message with faith and submission. She submits herself. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. To be a servant of the Lord means hearing God's word and responding with faith and humble submission to his will. So let's look at our passage and consider this announcement and Mary's humble submission to the will of God as his servant. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Our Father, this Christmas Eve, we have gathered to worship you and to hear from your word. And we pray that you would impact us with this message, that we would recognize how incredible and amazing this news is that was announced to Mary, but also is here in this preaching of your word announced to us. We pray that you would use it to captivate our our hearts and minds, to give us affections for your glory, and to live as your servants. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we consider this announcement to Mary, we'll see that this is also an announcement to us of the good news of our salvation. This is not just a historical account of an announcement 2,000 years ago that has nothing to do with us. This is an announcement that has immediate implications for us and for our salvation. For the world around us, it was a quiet announcement to an obscure girl in a quiet town, but it sent shockwaves throughout all the world and for all time. So as we consider this passage, let us consider, what will it mean for me to respond to this revelation from God, this announcement with faith and submission to the will of God? This passage is mainly about this announcement, so we'll consider three aspects of this announcement. First, it's incredibility. Second, it's impossibility. And third, it's reception. This is an incredible announcement, right? An incredible announcement for a few reasons we could just list. First, it's an incredible announcement because it is an announcement about the favor of God upon humans. Upon Mary, in particular here. Mary is called the favored one. She has found favor with God. And that phrase, she, you have found favor with God, she has received favor not because she was looking for it and she found it. Often this phrase is used in Scripture to point to those whom God simply gives His favor. He unilaterally decided to place this, His favor upon Mary. Second, it's incredible because it it is an announcement to a humble audience. Did you recognize that in this passage? An angel was sent to God not 
to, not sent from God, not to Jerusalem, right? the, the capital, the, the central place of religious activity, the temple, not to Jerusalem, but to Nazareth, this nothing town in the middle of nowhere, not to kings and religious leaders, nor to crowds at the temple, but quietly to a young woman named Mary. It's incredible. The, matching the content of this announcement to its audience is just simply incredible. But third, it's incredible because it is an announcement of the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Right here in this quiet announcement of Gabriel to Mary, you have all of the promises of God finding, coming to a head here in this announcement of a baby who would be born. The promises, the fulfillment for which all God's people throughout all the ages had been waiting. What is that fulfillment? What, what is this, this fulfillment of all of God's promises? That this woman, Mary, would conceive and bear a son. But not just any son, you will name him Jesus. Built into his name is salvation for God's people. The God who saves. You will call him the God who saves. He will be the son of the Most High. But also he will have the throne of his father David. In other words, he will be the king of kings. King David was the greatest king in all of Israel. And yet, he will have this throne. We, it reminds us to flip back in our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God promises this, he makes this covenant with David. I will establish your throne. You, an offspring will come from you who will sit on your throne forever. You will have an everlasting kingdom, and this will be an everlasting king. This is the fulfillment of these promises centered in on this baby who is to be born. He will reign over the house of Jacob, God's people Israel, the long-awaited Messiah for God's people. This truly is an incredible promise. We see a lot of incredible things throughout the world in our country, especially if you are on uh, Facebook. You see a lot of ads or headlines that claim to be incredible. It's called clickbait. Have you heard of clickbait before? It's a, that's a pejorative term for web content whose main goal is to get users to do what? Just click the link. Uh, clickbait headlines typically aim to exploit our curiosity, providing just enough information to get us intrigued, but not enough so that we will be satisfied without clicking through to the link couple examples. A schoolgirl gave her lunch to a homeless man. What he did next will leave you in tears. Nine things no one knew about Princess Leia. Number seven will blow your mind. <laughs> right? Click these links and what happens? You might be a little interested, but you're immediately disappointed. It doesn't live up to the hype, hype that it claims. Headlines like these ultimately lead us to cynicism so we no longer click the links, right? None of you could click those links anymore, do you? Please say you don't, right? <laughs> we, we're filled with cynicism because we've clicked the link before and we, we know it was nothing to it. And so we, you either don't believe the hi- hype anymore 
Well, if I click that, nothing's going to, it's not really going to fulfill my curiosity. Or you just don't care. You've become so cynical, you just don't care anymore. You know it's not really incredible. But this announcement here is incredible, truly incredible. And sometimes, as Jason was pointing out, we, we forget the incredible nature of the good news of Jesus Christ who was born in order to die for the forgiveness of our sins. Why, why does it become so uh, casual or familiar? Well, I think a, a familiarity breeds a sort of uh, treating things with casualness. So think about just your own family relationships. Isn't it in those times when you're with those you love most, you know most, you're, you're most comfortable with them, you're able to let down your hair and just be who you are without any, any, putting up any masks uh, to guard yourself, right? This familiarity with one another breeds a, a, a casual sort of relationship. And that can be the case with us when it comes to this announcement of the glorious good news of Jesus Christ. We've become so familiar with it. We, we hear it all the time. And therefore, we begin to treat it with a, in a casual nature. And God forbid that we ever begin to treat holy things in a casual manner. What are the way, consider the ways we could possibly do that with this gospel message. We could turn our service into merely entertainment and begin treating holy things casually. The Word of God. How do we treat the Word of God casually? The message of the Gospel, the worship of God is holy. This announcement is a holy thing and we should treat it with the utmost utmost reverence and awe. We ought to find it incredible if we don't find it incredible, it is not lacking to the message. It is something lacking in our own hearts and affections. Perhaps we've been pulled aside and captivated by other things that claim to be incredible. The gospel message is incredible. It is an announcement of God's undeserved favor. It is an announcement to a humble audience We who were rebels against God, who rebel against Him still with our sin. There are these remnants of rebellion within us, indwelling sin, which we yearn to get rid of. It is an announcement of the fulfillment of God's promises to us in Christ. It is the gospel. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Hear and receive this message, brothers and sisters. Find it incredible, for it truly is. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Is that incredible? This king, the Messiah, saves his people not by military conquest, but by giving his life up to death and then indwelling us with his Holy Spirit. This is incredible news. We ought to find it as such this Christmas. Consider how you might once again reflect upon this gospel message and 
be in awe of it. Be in awe of God, of God's glory. Consider how you have treated holy things in a casual manner. And then repent of those things. Receiving, once again, the good news of the gospel. Not only is it an incredible announcement, it's an impossible announcement, right? You noticed this, right? At least it's an announcement of something that is humanly impossible. Mary's response here, I think we should see, is not one of disbelief, but desiring further information. So it's faith-seeking understanding. She's not seeking proof that it will take place, as Zechariah seemed to be, but she's believing and then seeking to understand how it will come to pass. So Mark tells us in verse 27 that Mary was a virgin. And this uh, causes us to think and consider about a virgin who will conceive and bear a son. We're drawn back to Isaiah 7.14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I think Mark intends us to get this, to remember Isaiah. And Mary's response, how will it be, literally it says, since I haven't known a man, since I haven't been with a man. It's naturally impossible. How will this be? So the the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, actually. Here's how it will take place. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore he shall be called Holy, the Son of God. What does Mark mean here by the Holy Spirit or the the, the angel? The Holy Spirit will come over you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. I think we get a hint of the meaning if we go back to Exodus chapter 40. Turn there in your Bibles. Exodus 40, the end of the book of Exodus, verses 34 and 35. Here we have the tabernacle being erected. Remember what the tabernacle was. It was going to be the place of God's dwelling, where God would be with His people, where He would make His presence known among the people. And so the tabernacle is finally completed, it is erected, and then in Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35, we read this, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That that phrase in verse 35, because the cloud had settled over it, is... In the Septuagint is the same word that is used here of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. God is coming down and filling Mary with his spirit, overshadowing her that she might somehow impossibly become present, become pregnant from the presence of God Almighty. This is amazing. This is the fulfillment, in a, in a sense, of God overshadowing the tabernacle, tabernacle and filling the tabernacle with his spirit. No, the angel doesn't exactly answer the question though, right? We're still left maybe asking, well, but how? How will that happen? How will this come to take place? We don't know the details of how, but this does help us understand this will be no ordinary conception. It won't be a natural 
conception. It won't take place in the natural way, but in a supernatural way. In this way, her son will be human. She was, he was born of a woman. And he will be divine. Because he is born of God Almighty. He is fully God and fully man, this Messiah who has come. Elizabeth, and even though this seems impossible, the angel reminds her or lets her know, Elizabeth is now, uh, she was barren and now she has conceived. She's, she's pregnant already, six months. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary knows that it's impossible naturally for a virgin to conceive and give birth. It's also impossible for a barren woman to conceive and give birth. But there she is, six months pregnant. This is an impossible announcement. Our culture increasingly finds this story impossible. Unbelievable. There was a recent survey which asked, about Ameri- which asked Americans about their beliefs in four parts of this Christmas story. Number one, that an angel heralded the birth of Jesus. Number two, that it was a virgin birth. You should say virgin conception. Three, that wise men were guided to baby Jesus by a star. And four, that he was placed in a manger. The survey found that only 56% of Americans believed all four of those things. It's just too impossible to believe. Who has time for things that aren't provable by science? Those things don't happen. Virgins don't get pregnant. It's not the way it happens. Ultimately, it comes down to, do you believe there is a God who is intimately involved in the affairs of this life or not? If not, then of course these things are impossible. But if so, then you must also believe that nothing is impossible with God. And if a virgin conceiving and having a son is possible, then why would we think that the challenges and problems in our own lives are outside of God's ability, outside of God's power? Consider in your own life things that just in your own mind, you've, you've faced certain challenges or troubles and you think things are impossible. Content, contentment with where you are in life. Contentment with a particular situation in your life. Maybe you're facing financial difficulties and you don't see how it's possible things are going to work out. Health problems that you are facing. Relationship problems that are, seem utterly impossible for things to change. Or maybe you look at your own heart and you have come to the conclusion that you can't change. That it's impossible for you to ever get victory over certain areas of struggle and sin in your life. This is it's impossible. It's not going to happen. I've, I've been at it for 30 years and it, nothing's changing. It just seems impossible. Well, consider also another human impossibility. Favor with God and the forgiveness of sins. You being reconciled to God. You, a, a desperate sinner. You who were dead in your sins and transgressions. Being brought to life. That's impossible. The gospel is an announcement of human impossibility. 
Consider the phrase, nothing will be impossible with God in relation to your own salvation. It took a humanly impossible conception to bring about the birth of the Son of God, the Messiah, who would save his people. And likewise, it's humanly impossible for you to be saved. No person has the ability to save themselves. No person has the ability to merit favor from God, to clean up their act, to change themselves in order to get right with God. But God has done it, for nothing is impossible with God. Consider those other things that you've considered impossible in this phrase, for nothing will be impossible with God. Consider your unbelieving family and friends. Do you have loved ones who don't trust in Jesus, who are not Christians, who maybe they grew up Christian, but there's no real affection for Jesus Christ, and you consider it's just, it just seems impossible that they would ever come to faith in Jesus. Nothing will be impossible with God. So as we consider Christmas, we consider this impossible announcement. Let us also be filled with wonder at the seemingly impossible things God might be pleased to do for his glory and for the good of his people. Begin to dream about what God might be pleased to do with this message of the gospel. Begin to think about those in your life who, they seem like impossible cases. Begin to dream about what God might be pleased to do through your prayers and through your witness and through your love for them. For nothing will be impossible with God. Third, consider this reception of the announcement. We've considered its incredibility, its impossibility. Now look at how Mary received this message. She simply says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Even more amazing, in some ways, than the announcement is how Mary simply received it. She just simply said, Yeah, I'm your servant. I'll submit to your will. And, and what's amazing st- still, as you consider the things Mary would have to suffer because God had favor on her, her in giving her this son. Mary would suffer many things because of her commitment and submission to the will of God. Some she could anticipate, others she, she wouldn't. She wouldn't anticipate. She wouldn't know about them until they began to happen. Consider when people found out she was pregnant. Her reputation would be in shambles. She might have this shame placed upon her for becoming pregnant outside of marriage. She would be ostracized from the community. Think about that sort of suffering she would face. She had to have anticipated that, and yet she says, Behold, I am your servant. Let it all come to pass, according to your word. And we also read in the next uh, chapter, chapter 2, when Simeon blessed Mary, he said to her, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. There were these hints of suffering that would come because she fully accepted 
the role that God had for her in his plan of redemption. When Jesus grew up and started his ministry, his family thought he was crazy. And then, of course, when Jesus died on the cross, seeing her own son brutally beaten and hung shamefully on a cross. What intense suffering she faced from accepting God's will for her life. Perhaps she didn't know all that this would mean when she responded to the angel, but this was the will of the Lord for her. She received revelation from God, from Gabriel, this angel, this announcement. She, she received this revelation and then she trusted in God and humbly submitted herself to the will of God. And notice the parallel situation that is with us as well. God has given us his revelation. God has given us revelation in this announcement. He's given us revelation of the gospel message, of the good news that God has sent his son to save his people from their sins. And he has given us further revelation, imperatives, how we ought to now live in light of the gospel message. But consider how you have responded to this revelation of God. Perhaps you've been reluctant in some ways to respond as Mary has in all areas of your lives. Uh, I am a servant of the Lord. You've got to serve somebody. Submission to the will of God. So consider, as you, as you look at Mary's response to this revelation, consider your own response to the revelation of God in Jesus and in the Scriptures. What potential trials have caused you to shy away from serving the Lord, from being a servant of the Lord? You're afraid to lose certain possessions? So you're not fully willing to submit yourself to God's revelation, to His will for you. You're afraid to lose relationships. Or maybe you are you simply know that Committing yourself to be a servant of the Lord means you will have to give up certain sins that you have coddled. And you've been reluctant to give those up because you know being a servant of the Lord means submitting to His will. This Christmas, I want you to consider preparing yourself to be a servant of the Lord. What will it mean for you to do this? What will it mean for you to prepare yourself to be God's servant? Well, it begins with an announcement, an announcement of the good news of the gospel. That Jesus Christ came down. That God came down and provided a way of forgiveness for our sins. That Jesus died on the cross for those very sins, brothers and sisters, that you have still coddled in your own heart. That Jesus died for forgiveness and that he will accept any and all who come to him in repentance of those sins and faith in Jesus Christ. It begins with an announcement, and it, it comes in a renunciation of all other gods. It comes in renouncing yourself. I will be a servant of no one but of the Lord, of no thing but the Lord. In order to prepare yourself to be a servant, you must have faith in God. And where does faith come from? 
Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Not from your own heart, not working it up in your own heart, but simply by hearing the message and believing it. So hear the message, brothers and sisters. Hear this announcement in a fresh way, this incredible, impossible, glorious announcement. Hear it with ears of faith, submitting to the will of God. And then by God's grace, through His Holy Spirit, you'll be filled with faith, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you'll begin making some practical steps in faith to begin overcoming your fears and humbly submitting to God's will for your life. And here I mean not some mysterious will you've got to try to decipher and and, uh, mysteriously find. You You don't find God's will. It is revealed to us in the Word of God. Simply read it and you study and you learn and you grow in wisdom and knowledge and you seek to follow God's will. Your sanctification, your growth in holiness. So what sin, brothers and sisters, do you need to lay down to prepare yourself to be a servant? What fear do you need to lay down to prepare yourself to be a servant? What idol? What unnecessary action or work? What craving? Do you need to lay down to be a servant of the Lord? The right response to this message is looking to Jesus Christ in faith and humble submission to His will. And this, in turn, leads us to do incredible acts of love and service for others. The message of the gospel isn't simply receive this incredible, impossible announcement, but receive it and then share this love with others. Share this love with others. Begin to dream of incredible things you might do for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Incredible acts of service. Become great by becoming the greatest servant of all. Things maybe you even thought were impossible for you to do, but by God's grace, He will enable you and empower you to do those things for His glory. Let's pray together.